be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We'll begin there in just a few moments. As uh, Chris mentioned, we were in Kona, uh, Hawaii last week for uh, Ben's race. And uh, I want to give you just a little bit of uh, 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 information on that, just to give you a little idea of what he was doing. This is uh, it's the Ironman uh, triathlon. And so uh, what that means is uh, a two and a half mile uh, swim in the ocean, and that, that's where they begin in the morning, and then uh, they transition uh, to the bike, and uh, they have a 112-mile bike ride, and uh, this is going up out of Kona on up to a little town called Havi, uh, and so it's uphill uh, most of the way uh, going on up, and you have the trade winds coming off the ocean, uh, if you can imagine, to the left, and so uh, they, they are fairly severe winds. And that makes it uh, hard on the bike. A lot of times uh, the bikers, when they race, on the back wheel will have what's called a disc. But at Kona, you can't use a disc because the wind is so strong that it would catch the bike and just you know, turn you over. Uh, so the wind is really uh, tough. And so they, they do that and they come on back and uh, then they transition and they run a marathon. And uh, that's uh, up through the lava fields and, uh, and back. And so it's a very difficult... The conditions themselves make uh, the Kona uh, World Championship very difficult. Um, he did his swim in uh, just a little under uh, 56 minutes, 55, 58. So he's very happy about that. And then his bike, I think, was five hours... Uh, in seven minutes or something like that, uh, and then his uh, marathon, I think, was where's Chris? Three seventeen? Where's Chris? Somewhere? Was it three seventeen? You moved. <laughs> Just push me over there. Don't, don't you know people worship in the same chairs all the time? What's wrong with you? So was was his marathon three seventeen? Or something like that. Anyway, the whole thing was nine hours and thirty minutes. And uh, in his group, uh, men uh, thirty to thirty-four, he was the thirty-first uh, person in, and he was the sixth American in. So uh, he was very happy about that. Did a great job. He, the only thing that, that that went wrong, you know, uh, with something like that, you always have something that goes wrong, as you can imagine. But the only thing that went wrong is that when he was making his transition from the swim to the bike. Uh, he was going to zip up his uh, his shirt, and, and he zipped it, and he broke the zipper. Uh, and uh, that would be bad because, you know, leaning down on the bike, as you can imagine, we'd catch all the wind and all that. And so we yelled out, I need a safety pin! Who has a safety pin? And uh, some of the uh, helpers there, their badges were held on by safety pins. Uh, so uh, he, he pinned it together with three safety pins uh, and, and finished the race. But uh, he did a great job and uh, really proud of him. Uh, you know, it, it, it is amazing watching those athletes. Uh, they are incredible. Um, and uh, as Chris and I were joking, you don't really have a hard time figuring out who are the participants and who are the, 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 you know, the helping staff or the parents or family and all that. You can sort of look at one person and say, in the race, in the race, not in the race. Not in. <laughs> and I am confident that if someone were doing that with me and Chris, they would say, not in the race, not in the race. Uh, because they are just uh, incredibly uh, toned and, and together uh, and capable in what they're doing. Okay, uh, let's get on into uh, the, the reason for this sermon today is that the, in, in my read through the Bible in a year, I'm, I'm going through the Gospels right now. And so every day I'm reading about Jesus. And, and I thought it would be really interesting to do a sermon about Jesus and the process 
of discipleship. In Matthew 4, are you there? In verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets, and they followed Him. From the very beginning, the idea of following Jesus is that Jesus is going to make you something that you're not. Peter was a fisherman, and so uh, Jesus uses a, sort of a play on, on uh, what he does for a living. But the concept was, I'm going to make you into something that you are not. Right. That is discipleship. Amen. That you're becoming something that, that you weren't before. All the raw material was there in Peter to become what he would become. But there had to be a process of being made into that. It isn't that someone is just born a mature, functioning disciple. There's a process that goes on. And we're going to look at a couple of snapshots of, of Jesus and Peter. And, uh, and, and hopefully they'll be very interesting for you and helpful for you in seeing the process of what, what Jesus does to Peter. How does He take him from this point to this point? How does He get him from where He was to where He needs to be? And so this is not just a study of what Jesus did to Peter. It's really a study of what should be going on in any of our lives if we call ourselves a real follower of Jesus. If we call ourselves Jesus' disciple, we should be going through the process too. We should be becoming something that we weren't before. Now all the raw material might have been there before you became a disciple, before you became a Christian. But Jesus takes what the possibilities are and then He makes you into what you need to be. So let's look on a little further on in Matthew to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Now these are, these are chapter, the chapters we're going to look at are sort of uh, sequential as you might have noticed as we go through. And that's because that's the way that I study them as I go through. And let me say this, we are getting toward the end of the year here. This read through the Bible in a year thing is a great thing to do. And if you've never done that, I would urge you, beginning the first of the year, we're coming up on the first of the year, online you can find any number of different sort of ways to do this, if you know what I'm saying. The one I'm doing is chronological. Uh, which is very interesting, particularly in the Old Testament, because you're going through literally, you know, sort of from one, one point all the way through chronologically reading things, not necessarily the order of the books in the Bible. Uh, and, and that's been very interesting this year. And I've been doing this for a number of years, and I've done it a number of different ways. Sometimes you can just, you know, start in Genesis and go all the way through to Revelation if you wanted to. But there's all kinds of different sort of organized ways that you can read through the Bible in a year. If you haven't done that, uh, you've got a great opportunity coming up January 1st. And I would urge you, if you haven't done that, to do it. Okay, you in Matthew 14? Let's pick it up in verse 22. Now this is a little later on after Jesus, our initial introduction there in Matthew 4. And some things have happened, but the relationship with the two of them uh, is developing. In verse 22, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of Him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking 
on the lake. Now you have to love Jesus here. I mean, obviously they had never seen anything like this, and uh, you know it would have uh, been quite a, a sight to say the very least. They were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. (laughs) This is where you say something and you wish you hadn't said it. The moment you said it, you're like, oh, what did I just say? Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Okay, we have the saving hand of discipleship right here. Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. Lord, save me. I'm going down. It's not looking good. I'm sinking. Lord, save me. He reaches out his hand. Man, that must have been a great hand to grab a hold of, don't you think? When you're sinking down into the water in a stormy sea and you realize this is not going good and Jesus reaches out, grabs him, pulls him back up and saves him. If Jesus is going to be in your life, if you're going to be His follower, it's crucial that you understand that Jesus needs to be your Savior. This concept of Jesus reaching out and saving Him, grabbing Him by the hand, is a a wonderful image to imagine in our lives of Jesus saving us. That our life is sinking. We're going down. It ain't going to get any better. Jesus... Save me. When someone becomes a Christian, there should be a very much of a clear picture in their mind. Jesus is saving me. Jesus is my personal Savior. You know, in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world. Well, that's great. God loves the world. He loves everybody. But it's crucial to understand a personal nature to this. That He's your personal Savior. That it's about you and your need to be saved. Hold your finger there in Matthew 14 and look over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. The Apostle Paul makes reference to this idea when he's writing in 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You see, Paul understands this personally. This is just not a broad stroke. This is a fine point. Jesus came into the world to save me. There's a personal nature to a Savior that you need to really grab a hold of. If you're really going to have a close relationship with Jesus, if you're really going to have the kind of emotion toward Jesus that you should have, salvation has to be a personal issue. It's about you. He died on the cross for you. Yes, for everybody. But it's crucial to understand my sins put Jesus on the cross. My sins got those nails 
driven into His hands and to His feet. My sin put Him through that agony. My sin. My life. He came to save me. He actually wanted to save me even though I had done wrong. and Even though I had done some things that I'm even ashamed of. And He certainly wasn't happy with that I did it. But, but there's a personal nature to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Peter would have, I think, forever remember that moment. Sinking down into the water. And Jesus reaching down and grabbing him. Pulling him out of what would have been otherwise a very bad situation. The psalmist understood these kind of things. Look back in the Psalms. Psalm 144. One of my favorite psalms. Maybe my favorite scripture in all the Bible. Psalm 144. After every time I run, I have a, uh, a, a stone that is a stone little wall there down from where I live. And I put both my hands on that stone and, and lean down and stretch out my calves. Uh, and I say this prayer uh, that David says here. He says, Praise be to the Lord my rock. Notice how personal it is. Who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. I just like that. That seems to, to resonate with me that David, the warrior, understood that. And I like to think of myself... And that category. He's my loving God, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, in whom, whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. The, the, the psalmist here, David, it, it, this is very personal. My rock, my deliverer, my uh, fortress. This is, this is David thinking of his relationship with God. It's personal. It's not just a collective. It's personal. And it's important that it be personal in your life. You think of the saving hand. Saving you from what you did. Anyone who becomes a true Christian has a clear understanding that before I became a Christian, I did this. I did that. And my life was going in a certain direction. And many times it seems very clear to us that I had messed up my life and it was going in a wrong way. It wasn't going to get fixed. But salvation is not just about what you did. You're not saved just from what you did. You're saved from what you might have done. If your life had continued on the path that it was on, What might you have done? What might have I done? What damage might I have done? Not only to myself, but others around me. So salvation becomes personal. God saved me from what I was, but He saved me from what I might have become. What a wonderful picture of discipleship to understand. And this is crucial that Jesus is making Him into something. And in Him becoming that, the concept of a Savior is very, very important for Peter to have. Look a little further on to Matthew 15. Because the relationship that they share together is not just about Jesus saving him. It's also about, uh, at, at times, stinging correction. So we've got a saving hand and we have stinging correction. Matthew chapter 15 
in verse 10. Now we're picking this up in the middle of a story here. Some of the religious uh, Jewish leaders had come and they had confronted Jesus because His disciples uh, didn't wash their hands before they ate. They were all tuned into that, uh, that people should wash their hands before they eat. And I suppose, you know, in, in, uh, in reality, probably is a good idea uh, to wash your hands uh, before you eat. Uh, but they had made it into a, a religious requirement. So it was, it was one of those things that maybe was a good idea that had become a law for them, and they were very uh, aware of the fact as they watched Jesus and his disciples going through their uh, daily uh, affairs. You know, there's Peter, James, and John, the whole gang, and they're not washing their hands. And so they come to Jesus. Uh, actually, in verse one, it says, "Then the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat.' And they're very upset about that. And so Jesus is answering them back now, and he gives them an answer, which I'm sure they didn't entirely like. Uh, but uh, basically says, guys, you, you're making a big deal out of this and you've got really important things of the law that you're, you're not even taking care of at all. And uh, you've got a bunch of rules that you're following, but you're really not really following God the way He wants to be followed. And in verse 10, we'll pick it up. Jesus called the crowd to Him and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Now this is sort of interesting. The disciples are going to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sure you didn't notice. (laughs) But you really offended all those guys by what you said. He replied, Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Jesus can be fairly straightforward. Believe them. Leave them. They're blind guides. These guys are leading you down a bad way. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Now, Jesus, at time to time, would teach in parables. And we have other references that when Jesus would get with the disciples in private, He would explain the parable to them. And so He would give this parable. They didn't understand what He was talking about. And when they got together in private, He would say, well, let me explain the parable to you so you get it. And in this case, Peter just says, hey, we didn't get it. Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And those make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. So Jesus turns to Peter and says, Are you still so dull? Don't you get it? Come on now. Now, how do you think Peter felt at that particular moment? This is quite a different feeling than the feeling he would have had when Jesus reached down and grabbed him. When Jesus reached out and grabbed him, I'll bet he thought, I love Jesus. 
Jesus is really cool. Jesus is awesome. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. How do you think he felt when he says to him, Are you so dull? Are you so stupid? What is wrong with you? Doofus? This is a stinging rebuke. Now this isn't the only time that it happens. Look over to John 21. This is way down the road from where we're at right here. Jesus has now already died on the, on the cross and been resurrected. And He's come back and He's actually meeting with the guys. Uh, after that, in verse 15 in John 21, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love Me more than these? Yes, Lord, He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Here, John even tells us how how Peter felt. Peter was hurt. I think in Matthew 15 he was hurt too. When someone says to you what Jesus says to him, it it stings. It's like a, a, a slap in the face. It's hard to misunderstand it. It was personal here too. Are you so dull? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus stuck it right in his face. Get your mind in the game. This, this is like a coach grabbing a football player by the, by, by the face mask and getting right up in his face mask. What's up? I know for those, Randy's an old football player. Do they do things like that? Yes. <laughs> My dad was a football coach, and I've seen him do it. it, it, it it's, a, it's a sharp. Wake up. Get in the game. Pay attention. Moment that Jesus has w- with him here. There are times in the process of going from where you were to what Jesus wants you to be that you need a singing correction. That Jesus needs to speak to you. That the Scriptures need to speak to you very straightforwardly. Many of us in this room, when we became a Christian, remember the first time that we heard, read aloud, Galatians 5, verse 19-21, through 21, in a Bible talk or a church. Let's go read that just so we can remind ourselves of it. Galatians 5, great passage of Scripture. To slap you in the face, so to speak. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You and I remember... Some of the first times that we heard that passage of Scripture read. The first time that you went through it with somebody. 
item by item. And you realize, well, at least there's one of them or two of them I didn't do. <laughs> but but, you, but, but the, the, the ending comment is so direct. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, it, and it's, 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 it's as obvious as obvious could have ever been. That that's not how you're living if you want to please God. But that's how you're living if you're going to go the wrong direction in the next life. And you realize, if my life ended right now, that's where I'm going. That's who I am. Remember that? It was a stinging moment. It was a frightening moment. It was a gut-reaching moment. But where, where you could feel it in your heart, in your gut, you knew... Man, I am not where I need to be. I'm not where God wants me to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm in a bad place right now. Yes. And often you would think about the things specifically that you'd done and you were ashamed and maybe you cried. And if you didn't then, you probably did later when you really thought about it. The process of discipleship is absolutely Jesus reaching down and saving you. But it's also, and we've got to understand this, it's sometimes Jesus saying things to us, speaking to our heart, saying, you are not right, you're not living right, you're not doing right, and it needs to change now. You have that feeling. It's interesting, sometimes the feeling idea is actually talked about in the Scriptures. Look over to Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus had died on the cross. He had resurrected and His followers sort of run into Him, but He doesn't exactly reveal Himself. And then we find out what they think about that. Look at verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, Now that same day two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. And so they go along and they're having this whole discussion. And skip on over to verse 28. It says, They approached the village and as they were going, Jesus acted as if He were going further. But they urged Him strongly, Stay here with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so He went and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and, and, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when, we talk, when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They actually make reference to this idea that, man, I, I, I could feel it in my gut. I, I, there was just something. I didn't know what was going on. He was telling us all this stuff and we didn't, couldn't recognize Him. And then they realized it was Jesus and they think back to that feeling that they had inside. Don't you remember that feeling you had? The first few times you read the Scriptures and you knew you needed to change. It was a mixture of excitement and dis. Terror! (laughs) Knowing that if you did what you felt you needed to do and that God was calling you to do, that your friends likely weren't going to be fired up about it. Fear that your mom and dad may not like what you were going to do in giving your life to Jesus and making Jesus Lord of your life. And you were scared. 
and it racked you. This stinging correction is part of the process of, of getting from here to there. Sometimes, you know, we, 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 we realize that happened when we became a Christian, but we will be Christians now for five years, ten years, twenty, you know, whatever the case. And, and we, we wonder, will I ever have that kind of feeling in my heart again? My guess is, is you never will if you don't want to. If you don't want to feel deep conviction, you're probably not going to. We should pray that we could feel conviction, that our hearts not grow cold, and our hearts not grow callous to the point where we hear the Scriptures, but they no longer touch us deeply. We need to want to have those deep moments where the conviction of the Holy Spirit touches us deeply. You know, in Proverbs 29.1, there's a great passage about those who don't listen to correction. And it's one of those passages that probably many of you have heard before. But it's one that you need to listen to about those of us who don't listen to God's correction and don't listen to correction to people around us. Proverbs 29, in verse 1. The man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. If you don't listen... You know, teenagers, if you don't listen to your parents, your parents are trying to raise you. They're trying to train you. They're doing their best to try to help you become what you need to become, a process of discipleship on another level. If you don't listen, sooner or later, you're going to pay the price. It's quite unusual that parents try on purpose to lead their children in a bad direction. More than likely, if your parents are correcting you, it's because you need it. And you better learn to listen. If you don't listen, sooner or later you're going to pay the price. Now for the rest of us that aren't teenagers, when God is speaking to us through the Scriptures, and we don't listen, sooner or later you're going to pay the price. You may not pay the price today, you may not pay the price tomorrow, but you're going to pay the price eventually. And that's a stern, stern correction here from Proverbs 29 to us as people. There are people in this room right now, you know you're doing wrong. You know you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. You better wake up. You better realize there's going to be a day that you're going to pay the price. And, and trust me, I'm not speaking to you any stronger than I'm speaking to myself. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Me as much as anybody else in the room. But the process of discipleship is not just lovey-dovey all the time. The process of discipleship, Peter found out from time to time, was difficult. Where Jesus would speak very directly to him to get him to the place where he needed to be. Okay, now move back uh, again uh, into Matthew, to uh, this time Matthew chapter 17. And, and I purposely did this one last. Of course, it's sequential as you, as you go through, you know, Matthew uh, 14, 15. And we're actually missing a couple in 16, but we don't have time. I know you don't want to hear me preach all that amount of time uh, to talk about every one of them. But I love uh, 
uh, seventeen uh, one here and the uh, the time that Jesus has with Peter here it says after six days Jesus took with him Peter James and John the brother of James and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like sun and his clothes became white as light. Just uh, then, uh, uh, then they, they appeared before him, Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. This is a fantastic scene. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Jesus must have been thinking... I'm glad you got that one. Okay. Yes, it is good. I brought you here for, uh, for that purpose. It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Wow. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, He said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is a great story. You have the soothing touch of Jesus. We didn't really read what happened just before this in chapter 16. But in chapter 16, Jesus comes and He asks the guys, Who do people say that I am? And they go through the litany of people. Some say John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets of old. But what about you? Peter says, You're the Messiah. And he says, Peter, you got it! This is great! He says, you'll have the keys of the kingdom. And of course, in Acts 2, we see Peter usher in the kingdom. And, and, and Peter's going to be a very important person and all that. And, and Jesus goes on from there. And I know I'm, I'm going through that, that sort of passage quickly. But, but, uh, but Jesus goes on and says, okay, here's how it's all going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be uh, crucified. And, and Peter says, never, Lord. That'll never happen. And, and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Wow. That's a pretty stinging rebuke. And then you have Matthew 17.1. After six days, guys, let's go up on the mountain. And who does he take with him? Peter. Isn't it amazing? The relationship where Jesus can be so confronted and so straightforward and willing to say things that can hurt. And he knew hurt Peter. But then when it's time to go to the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus surely knows what's going to happen, He takes with Him Peter and James and John. And they go up there and they are just blown away. They don't know what to make of it. Jesus is transfigured. You have Moses and Elijah, the figures that they would have only heard about in history. There, Peter doesn't know what to say. He's out of his mind. Can I put up three tents? I don't know what to do. God comes out and says, listen, this is my son. Listen to him. Whoa. And they're scared. Why wouldn't they be? And it says, Jesus came and touched them. It's okay, Peter. It's okay, John. It's okay, James. It's all going to work out. And then they, apparently, they felt fine. They were soothed by the touch of Jesus. 
So the process of discipleship is fascinating that happens between Jesus and Peter. He saves him with a, with a grab. He corrects him severely, it seems at moments. And then he comes and he says, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be okay. The process of discipleship, that soothing touch is forgiveness. It's grace. Did Peter do anything to deserve the loving touch of Jesus? Not really. Other than sort of be rattling off. How about I put up three pins? Settle down. It's going to be okay. And the forgiveness that can come from that. I want you to read with me over in Psalm 103. About the forgiveness the psalmist here is writing about. But the forgiveness that we should also... We ought to be able to identify with this. This passage. Psalm 103 verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Can Jesus be angry with Peter? Yes. But He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. If you're a writer in your Bible, that's where you write, Amen. Overpay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. And He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And He goes on from there. As a father feels for his children. Yeah, I gotta tell you, last week watching Ben do that race was at moments hard on me. It, it, it's a long way to swim, two and a half miles. I'm pretty sure most of us in the room couldn't do that. I'm pretty sure I couldn't do it. That's a long way to swim. And it's a long way to swim when people around you are hitting you. He said, Dad, swimming in, in that is like being in a, a washing machine. You are getting hit all the time. And he said, you'll be glad to know I gave as much as I received. <laughs> <clears throat> he is a Fuquay after all. And to see him take off on the bike and realize he's going all the way out to Javi. That's a long way. We drove it the day before. I thought, wow. We went to IHOP and got breakfast. (laughs) All during breakfast, you know, I was thinking, well, I hope he's okay. (laughs) I I hope some idiot hadn't hadn't hit him, you know, or, or I hope his bike doesn't break. And then, you know, you see him come in through the transition there and uh, uh, his wife, Bailey, is, is expert at getting to the right places where you can see what goes on for about two seconds, then he's gone again. Uh, but, you know, to see him come in and then see him go off. And at mile 10 in the run, the run is 26 miles. At mile 10, you go up this run from all, all the way down at the ocean, uh, all the way up uh, Polini Drive. 
And I'm telling you, it is a hill. This is not little gradually up hill. This is, this is going up. And, and we're watching and looking for Him and watching and looking for Him. And these elite athletes are coming around the corner and they're starting to go up Polini and we're watching them and wow, they are suffering. There's no fun right now of what they're doing. And seeing a number of them stop and walk. These are the most elite athletes in the world. And I'm thinking, he's, he's going to come around here. <laughs> it's cool as heck. Because <laughs> in his mind, when they're stopping, this is when I beat them. <laughs> and he came around, he ran up, and the whole thing. Parents feel that way. About their children. You teenagers, your parents may irritate the fool out of you. But that's how they feel. And as, as parents feel that way towards their children, the psalmist uses that imagery as a father has compassion on his child, so God has compassion on us. See, the process of discipleship, yes, is Jesus saving us. Yes, it's Jesus sometimes punching us right in the nose. Sometimes, though, it's realizing Jesus has compassion on me. You know, your life is tough sometimes. It's hard. My life is tough sometimes. It's hard. Running up Paulini at mile 10 on that marathon is hard. And God knows your life is hard. He sees the difficulty of suffering that you go through at moments in your life and He feels compassion for you. He says, come on. Come on. Don't quit. Tough it out. Come on, boy. Those are all the things going out of my mouth. And then to see him finish. To come down that, that last death thing. And it was it was a moment I'll never forget it. There were hundreds of people. The finish line is here and we're in stands here. And he's running down there and coming through and and the person he looked for was me. <laughs> and he waved at me on the way by. <laughs> and then he finished. And and the the freakiest thing God gave the gift of all time is the official photograph of him finishing with his hands up like this <laughs> as me in the background. <laughs> it's, 
you, you couldn't have you couldn't have planned it. I'm, 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 I'm between two flags, right there. And I'm I'm smiling, and he's you know finished and done and all that. That that kind of thing is is what the psalmist is talking about. It's a father has compassion on his children. That the kind of rapport that parents have, the care, the love that they have for their children. Children can annoy their parents from time to time. Ben annoyed me from time to time. Even before what race he annoyed me from time to time. <laughs> Dealing with all his mess and getting his bike to the right place at the right time and driving all the way out to Javi so he could see the road and you know all, all, the, all that we did and continue to do and will continue to do for him. He's our son. They, parents feel that way toward their children. But that's the process of discipleship. That's what makes you faithful to the end. Why is anybody faithful to Christ? 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Faithful till death. Because He's our Father. And we know how much He loves us. And when we finish the race, we're looking for Him. We're waving at Him. I did it, Dad. This is a wonderful process. Now, Peter becomes an incredibly important person in the New Testament era in the foundation of the Christian church. But he started out as a fisherman. What did you start out as? What are you going to end up as? None of us really know. We're, we're on the journey. We're trying to become all that God wants us to become. But isn't it a wonderful imagery of this process, this journey of discipleship of Jesus making you into what you can become. The best version of you that could ever be is the version that Jesus can make you into. And hopefully, even though you didn't see what I saw out in Kona or or experience it, maybe I I, uh, gave you enough of the uh, mental picture of it, of finishing the race and saying, God, I did it. I finished of all the people here, I'm looking for you. Looking for the Father that's been the Father all my life. I hope this study has been helpful for you in piecing together the process. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the, the, the journey of discipleship, of God making you into what God wants you to be. God bless. Have a great week.